I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please, sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. What's up, everybody? It's Doug Bobst, and I'm here with another episode of the Adversity Advantage. And today, I have a very special guest for you. Today, we have my friend, Anthony Trucks. Uh, Anthony teaches people how to make success their second nature by taking what life throws at them and using it to accelerate their success. He's a former NFL player, American Ninja Warrior, coach, consultant, author, speaker, husband, and father of three incredible kids. And I'm not going to say anything else because we're going to unpack the rest of his story during this episode. But, you know, if you had known him, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you would have said there's no way in hell he would get to where he is today. So I can't wait for him to tell his story. Anthony, thank you so much for being on here, man. Hey, man, no problem. I am. Uh, I'm excited to be on these things. I actually enjoy I enjoy podcasts a lot, bro. I get a chance to come talk to you and then people who are listening. Yeah, yes, you who's listening right now, hopefully get something cool out of it. That's the whole purpose of it. Yeah, so kind of take us back a little bit. I mean, I know like people might look at your website, they might look at your social media and say, "Dude, like yeah. this guy has it all together. He is, you know, he's been in the NFL, he's been on American Ninja Warrior, he's a father, he's an entrepreneur, he's getting paid all this money to speak." Like p- take us back to your childhood, man. Cuz I know your childhood was freaking hell. Like yeah. take us back and like have the listeners kind of get into that a little bit more. Get a feel. Mark, I call him Marty McFly. I mean Marty McFly, you Doc Brown, back to the let's future. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> take you back. Uh, yeah, Matt, the one thing is when I say success or second nature, my realm of expertise is identity. So when people ask, hey, what do you do? Um, I really work with helping people navigate their identity because realistically, uh, the root of who we are is all based in in, uh, in the, the thoughts, actions, beliefs, which are rooted from who we are as a child, how things are built in. and da, da, da. But really, uh, no matter what you learn and, and figure out and you buy, you're never going to actually have a long-lasting change or make the change unless you make what I call an identity shift and close your identity gaps. And so I learned to do that throughout my life. Um, started at a really young age, so at three years old, given into foster care. So I had to deal with this foster care system in America that is, uh, it was, it was not very good, man. I think it's gotten better, I've heard, but definitely was not a good place back then. So I was, you know, three years old, bounced around from house to house, like six different houses, and I was beaten and starved and tortured and craziness. Um, all before the age of six, man. So by six years old, I'd spent three years in a system that was just, I thought at the time, trying to kill me. Like literally, it's what it felt like as a kid. The memories are still locked in, man. I, I can't I can't get rid of those. They don't go anywhere. It sucks. Um, but it also helps root to me to who I am. So I had this identity of, you know, this kid that was just a foster kid, didn't have a meaning. And then got put into a family, which is my family now. So I was the only black kid in all white family, still am, except my sister. She married a black guy. So now I got a, I got a brother as a brother now. <laughs> the first time. Um, but one of six, really, really poor, grew up in a town called Antioch in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, and yeah, I, mean, I just had to navigate who I was for a lot of years. I had a real mom who just, she was in the background, but not a very good human. Um, she was called a pathological liar. So I'd make amazing lies up to make me feel, I don't know, better about her or whatever it was, but just it ruined me inside for a lot of years. Couldn't play sports, had no outlets, had no self-worth. Um, the family I was with, like the first foster dad was a drunk, he used to beat everybody in the house and just a really bad experience. But then my mom remarried, life got better. But it's weird because his life got better. It, it, I don't know if maybe some people experience this, maybe you have, 
But sometimes when you feel like you don't deserve much or you're not supposed to have great things, when they get better, you get afraid because you you don't want to remember the feeling of it. Like have, they say, better to have loved and lost and never loved at all. Like that's the closest I can get to it. When things got better, it scared me because it could have been taken away. So I almost didn't want things to get better. It was really weird. And But at 14 years old, after eight years with his family and navigating ups and downs, I finally got a chance to stand in front of a judge uh, and sever my mom's parental rights. I had to look at her and say, I no longer want you to be my mom anymore, which is a really weird thing to do at 14 for like your biological mom, who all your life you just loved and wanted to love you back and just never did. And so I finally got this freedom, man, to, uh, to really live life at a different level. So now I'm this... Uh, you know, this former foster kid, all white family, adopted kid now. Uh, my mom got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, my adoptive mom. So now I'm also the son of a sick kid, a sick mom. You know, I got these weird identities that I'm trying to juggle all the time and navigate. Then I want to be an athlete, so I try to play football. And now I'm like not the greatest athlete, but I'm trying this game. We've all had these things happen where, like for me at recess as a kid, I really wanted to be like amazing. So I go out and practice at football and play games at recess. I was dominant on the football field at, at recess. Then I go put a helmet on and I'm getting smashed left and right. And a whole different game is being played. And so I, I say that because a lot of us at times, we have these things we want to do, we're trying to do, but we end up finding out as, as we get into them, although we love it, we're not very good at it. And the exposure makes us feel bad because like, well, we suck and I don't want to keep feeling this way. So I'd find ways to excuse myself or make excuses to not go do that again. So maybe I wanted to play guitar, but like, I'm not good. And so I, I don't like the feeling of not being good. So they'll stop. Like that was me in football. And so now the next thing I know, now I'm this kid who's checked out. Man, my mom's sick. I was foster kid. I was supposed to do well. Then I'm an adopted kid. Uh, I'm not good at sports. I'm just, you know, it just it was a really weird time in my life where I was chalking life up. And there's a pivotal point for me that that put me on this trajectory to, you know, college scholarship and, and a kid at a young age and all this, you know, and playing the NFL, opening a gym, traveling, talking all this stuff. Now, what happened was at 15, I got the gift of hearing my excuse out loud. And it's a gift, I say, because a lot of us never receive this gift. But my excuse at that point of why I was going to check out of life was, well, man, I'm not supposed to get much. You know, I didn't know at the time, but if you look at uh, any prison in America, 75% of the population are former foster kids. Like 51% of our homeless population um, are people who, you know, were former foster kids. Less than 1% will make it to college or out of college from foster kid, you know, foster situations. So I wasn't supposed to do well. And my excuse was, well, Aunt, man, you can't do great stuff. You're just former foster kid. You're not supposed to have a great life. And I heard this girl say to some other girl in an English class one time, and she had no idea I was listening. I was like checked out sleeping. She says, well, the reason I'm so bad is because I'm in foster care. And I was like, wow, what a stupid sounding excuse. And the gift she gave me was me hearing how dumb this was as an excuse that I was going to live with for the rest of my life. And I was like, I can't do it, man. I, I got to be great at something. So I chose to dig into football. And although football at the time was just this thing, I learned an amazing lesson I can teach out of it now that helps me navigate my identity and, and what allowed me to create a cool life. And I didn't even know what was going on for a lot of years. But there's this, this moment in time where I was horrible. And what I did was I was like, you know what? I just got to find a way to be a great football player. Like That's what my goal was. How do I be great at this thing that I've never been great at? And we all have these moments. Like, how do you become great at this thing I've never been great at before? And I realized, like, well, I want to know what, what are the people who are great? What are they doing? Like, how do they operate? How do they think? What are the actions they take? And that wasn't the thought I was thinking. Back then, I was in San Francisco Bay Area. I'm watching Jerry Rice and, like, 
you know, his his uh, his like hooker shorts right up to the, the grass hill because he <laughs> back then thighs out was a good thing for the guys. Uh, but he's right up the hill. I'm like, I'm gonna do what this guy did. I'm gonna go run routes. I'm gonna go catch footballs. I'm gonna go lift weights. I'm gonna do all these things. And so that's what I did, man. I went out and started doing these things, and and little by little, like I put in work, and I came back the next year. Doug, I was a monster, bro. Like I was an animal. And, and it, I know it's hard to relate this if you're a mom sitting at home saying, well, how does that relate to me? Or maybe you're just this, you know, this guy who has this regular job that you, know, you just kind of go to. Here's how it relates to you, ma'am, sir, um, you know, Mr. and Mrs., uh, guy, girl, whatever it is. You get it. Here's how it relates. What ended up happening in the background that allowed me to show up a monster and battle for myself, because what happened is when I got to these moments where it was me against you or, or vice versa, what ended up happening was like, you didn't have the right to beat me. I did the work in the background in the dark. There was no opportunity for you to come in, step in, and take something from like, I got this, I earned this. And what it was was a statement that I lived by now is what you create creates you. Boom. And and what I created, oh, it's a boom, bro. I, that's what I created was really just this this guy that was stronger and faster and he could run routes, he could he could stand up for himself, right? But what I really created in the background was this identity and anchored pride to no, I'm the guy that wins. Like, I'm the guy that that just beats you. You're not the person that wins right now. Like, so no, no, I'm the person that gets that email done. Or I'm the person that makes that call. Or I'm the person that does that workout, right? When it's who you are, you will fight to defend that part of your identity. And I now identify it as, no, I'm, I'm the football player who does these things. You don't do these things to me. And I fought for myself. And that's kind of where the big battle is for a lot of us. We're not fighting for ourselves enough anymore. We're trying things, but we didn't do enough of the work to really, to the root and core of our, our humanity, fight for ourselves. And so that was the thing that I ended up applying over and over in my life to where now, like when I step into something, I do all this work in the background that nobody sees to where when I step up, I can boldly, confidently say like, no, I'm the guy that does that. Like I have integrity. I follow through. I do these things. Like this is who I am. I've just done the steps to do it. And I run it. It adapts to every part of our human life. So that was what it was. That was the big catalyst is, is, is me realizing that when you put this work in, it's like that investment bias as a human. If we invest, like if I put money into something, I want to return, right? I want to get my money back or lend some, right? And the aspect of life, the return is the pride, the confidence internally because what I created was a physical thing. But what was created from that was this internal, non-physical, emotional, non-tangible thing as a human that showed up and allowed me to keep stepping on that that next block and next block and building like the best cathedral of a life I can have. Yeah, man, there's so much to unpack there. Like, and gosh, I wanted to, to to interrupt you when you first said you had to look your mom in the face that you didn't want her to be your biological mom anymore. Wow, what would I mean if you remember? Like you said, you still have a lot of this stuff inside. Like, what was going through your mind at that point, dude? It was weird. So I was. I remember like my little social worker was like this little, um, you know, like spirally hair, white guy, older dude, <laughs> nice guy, big courtroom. The judge took me into the, uh, the, the judge's quarters. So I was 14 this time. Took me into the courts. Like, you know what you're doing here right now? I'm like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. He's like, so you know this, when you do this, like this, this woman never, she has no control over your life anymore. I was like, yeah, I was like, that's what I wanted. And uh, I remember her saying, well, he, she's like arguing in the court. And the only reason he's doing it so he can play football and, and part of it was I, I did want to play football, but that wasn't the only reason. I remember a lot of it was was tied to the emotions that I had for a long time and didn't realize what was going on. So my mom would make these lies up. We had these uh, visitations we could go to. And what she was allowed to do was go to visitations every single – like in the beginning, it was like every week we'd have visitations. 
social worker would come pick me up, take me to that place. I'd visit with her and go home. Well, I had three siblings and they had the same dad and I'd been it and we all the same mom. We'd go to visitations and it would only be me, the three of them and their dad. She'd never be there. So I'm sitting there in the background trying to figure out like how, uh, you know, how am I supposed to handle this? And little by little, like I just, it would go from her not showing up. And when she doesn't show up, they extend it. So it was like every week to every two weeks, every month, every two months, three months, four months, six months, she'd never come. And every single time after the fact, she'd call me and make some crazy lie up about why she didn't make it. I mean, when I tell you pathological liar, Doug, she would tell me she owned Apple. She was uh, a NASA, you know, which we'll call it like astronaut. Like these crazy things that she would make up and, and wow. you know, she's a Mensa member. And dude, it was seriously weird. And uh, and it was this thing where for a lot of years I just gobbled it up and I would every night go to bed and when I would wake up the next day, I would have wet the bed, cry myself to sleep, wet the bed because here's what she would do. She'd say, hey, sorry I didn't make it, but I want you to do this thing. Get a bag, pack it, and I want you to wait by the window. And at about 8 o'clock, I'm going to drive by, come get in the car, we're going to drive off together. Sell me a dream, Doug. She used to sell me a dream, bro. And I would sit there, I would just watch the window for hours. And I just, you see like the lights come by and they just keep passing, keep passing, keep passing. And then by, you know, like an hour and a half, two hours go by, like I'm just bawling and crying because she did it again. And I was like, why? And so imagine eight years of this. So after eight years, I was like, yeah, this is, uh, this has got to stop, man. Um, I got, I got more I can do for my life at this point. I can't have this be part of who I am. And it, uh, it was a big anchor that kind of unhooked me from, from like a mediocre life. That's crazy, man. So like you talk about a lot about identity, right? And how you've had a lot of identity shifts throughout your life. You've had the identity of being a foster kid. You've had the identity of, you know, you were obviously in a toxic, abusive childhood environment. You've had the identity of being a college football player, professional player, American Ninja Warrior. Like talk about like the differences and where each of your identities you think has led to where you are today. Yeah. Every one of them led me here. They're all parts of a pie. I mean, that's, I think the crazy part is as much as I don't like the past parts of my identity, I appreciate every one of them because the work I do in this world now, it's not that I went and got a certification, read, you know, read some little, you know, pamphlet on how to talk to people. Like this is stuff I've lived. Like I've also navigated being divorced and then remarried to the same woman after three years and custody battle and craziness, um, health scares, losing my mom to MS, like all these nuts of different things. And so um, the realm of the work I do is, is kind of going through aspects, one of, of unpacking my past and saying, what did I, what did I do? How did I get into these situations? How did I get out of these situations Two, What's the psychology behind it? Like, how does, like, how does my brain actually think through things that made this happen? And then what's the neuroscience? How do I, how do I reprogram? Like, what does the neuroplasticity come into shape, break, you know, adjust, rewire certain parts of how I operate as a human to create this guy now? And then it's like, how do I teach that to somebody? Not only just like talk about it, but how do I get you to walk through these steps with me? Because here's the root of it. As much we're talking about going from like a crappy childhood to like a, you know, say a, an operational, you know, we'll call it good life. How do I become great? Like that, that's the thing. Like when I talk about success, how do I become a person that has that Midas touch? Because really that's what we want. Like when people are listening to me talk, they're not like, oh, I want to know how to be like, have an okay life. They're like, no, I want to be amazing. Like how do I have this amazing life, man? How does this stuff apply? And so that's kind of what I always did was I lived my life through it also. So I've done the TV shows. I've done the speaking. I've, I've done this you know, seven-figure business. I've done all these things that really shouldn't have happened to me statistically. But then I went back and said, how did my humanity make it happen? And this is where I think the things need to tie back for a lot of people. 
a lot of people think that it's uh, it's going to be buying that new thing or trying that new you know tactic or strategy or whatever it is. And then we buy these things, we we you know get a hold of the information, and we still fall short. And I started seeing like this issue in the industry of you know of personal development or the industry of you know business coaching and all this stuff. I was like, why is it that people nowadays have access to far more information and tools and techniques than ever in human history? Yet we have more people unhappy. What is going on? I think part of it, I know part of it is what you get to see. So it's compare and contrast. I see this. I don't have this. I'm less than. I hate this. Other part of it is I get these things and I try these things and I do the best I can, but it still falls short. So I'm, I'm anchored back to saying, yep, never going to have that. And then the key word that nobody realizes within that statement is I try the best I can. And, and I want people to think of it kind of like a computer program. So every day you get up in this brand new hardware, which is your body, that has you know, operates around other brand new hardware. But a lot of us are operating off software from the 1980s, like the 1990s. Like it's not powerful enough to, to operate this hardware at a, at a level that'll fully take advantage of all of its capabilities. And this is because we're programmed for the past and our thoughts and our actions, our views on money, views on relationships, hardships, career, all this stuff. And so we're trying to make these successful lives, but we're still running the wrong so like software. It's like if I got this hardware's computer and I buy a new monitor and a new mouse, you're still running off old software. Like you got to figure out how to upgrade it. And this is rooted in your identity. It's, it's how do you operate an autopilot? Like when, when things happen to you, how do you react? How do you think? How do you take proactive action? What hinders you? What stops you? Like all these different aspects which are rooted in your identity. And so we all have what's called the tools, the techniques, and the technicians in life. The tool is like the tool you have. The technique is a strategy. The technician is who's using that. And if the technician is a, a newborn baby, I don't care what manual and amazing software you give them. They're not going to apply it right. And so what it, what it boils down to is how do you get into the identity of the person that, that naturally, organically, automatically does the things that move the needle for your life without overwhelm or burnout? That's what happens. We try these things and we may get close to them. But you get burned out or it's like, oh, man, it's overwhelming. And I, I don't like those words. I don't even use those words. I use maximize or stretched because the reality is, is when you get to the point of being successful, you'll find all the things that successful people do in your space, in your world that move the needle where you feel overwhelmed. For them, it's Friday. That's just what I do on Friday. You're dying. You're freaking out. Like for them, it's, no, it's just what I do on Friday. And so there's, there's this, this loop that's part of our life that just – it's always how you operate, how you think, how you react. Uh, I got a lot that I'm, I like boil down to frameworks nowadays, but at the baseline of it, when you can become the person who is not trying to do the things a successful person does, but you are the successful person that just does those things, it becomes an effortless effort. Everything you're trying to do just kind of naturally happens. It's, it's still work, but it's not crazy kill you inside kind of work. And that's the game changer kind of stuff. And so when I work with people, it's breaking down where are your identity gaps, where do you fall short, where do you struggle, where do you get overwhelmed, how do we close that gap, and when you start closing the gap, you find that little by little, you start becoming the person that does those things. And what's cool about it is, as opposed to where you struggle to do it and it's hard, it becomes natural and weird if you don't do those things. Like, think about exercise. A lot of people are like, I want to exercise, I want to get in shape. And then what happens is they, uh, they start working out, and they're like, I don't like this. But right. either they stop or they keep going. Eventually, when you keep going, if you think about early on, you're like, oh, I hate going. I don't want to get this workout in. After a while, you feel weird if you don't go to the gym. 
that's a whole different perspective emotionally, right? The, the type of emotional expenditure is like, no, I, I don't even, this is just what I do now. Like I talk to people all the time about the concept of like the decision-making gas tank. And this is where it's really tied to our identity. It's like if you think about um, every morning having to get up and say, okay, do I do I make my bed, not make my bed? Do I get in the shower, not get in the shower? Do I eat breakfast? Do I get the workout? Do I hit the email? Do I make the call? Do I do this task? Do I get this project? Do I, do I, do I, do I? By two o'clock, like literally in your brain, like you know, neuroscience shows, like after a while, you just, you get fatigued, decision fatigue. I don't want to make any more choices. So by noon, like you're smoked, like you just Netflix and chill and you binge and you hang out and like your brain can't take more on. But if you look at successful people who do things in your space that you want to do, they're not deciding. It's in fact who they are. Their ego shows up to protect that person with their actions. Most people think the ego is a negative thing. I think it's the most protected thing in the world. Like it's a great thing because for me, I was a great football player. My ego said, no, you're great, bro. You get workouts. You eat the right food. You learn the playbook. You go to practice. You're on time. Your ego does that. So it shows up to strengthen me. And so I'm not deciding to do these things anymore. It's who I am. I'm a feel funny. So by 12 o'clock when you're smoked, I got a full take. Still rolling. And then you look at these people and say, how is it? It's just who they are. So you can walk up to them and say, hey, how in the world do you do all this stuff that overwhelms me? And they just say, just what I do. How do you not? And when you get to that level, then your life will change. And it changes along the way because what you create creates is the time put into it. But when you get to that point, you pop up. It's, it's, it's inevitable that you win. Like success literally becomes your second nature. Yeah. And you, you, you hit a lot of great points there. And like, you know, talking about how your identity has shifted through the years and like even how you like see things is completely different, right? It's like kind of like the, you know, I get to versus have to mentality, the for you versus to you mentality. Right. And Mm -hmm. like, what do you think, like as adversity, you've hit adversity through your childhood, you you obviously hit adversity through your, you know, playing career and even now, like, how has the way you've managed your adversity through the years shifted? Has it changed at all versus like how you respond to things? Yeah, I mean it has to because uh, you know new levels, new devils, man. You get you get new levels in life. There's always some other devil trying to pull you down. And I think what happens is it's a perspective of two things. One is that uh, I've always I've always come out with a new tool and and a, something where I didn't die. Like I didn't die. Like I'm I'm alive. Like it's okay. It was hard, but I figured it out. Right. So is that part of it? I get a new tool that I can apply somewhere else, but then the way that I in the moment approach it, right? Because some people, they're like, you know, they realize it sounds good. Like, all right, sounds good to get a tool. How do you actionably do that? And here's what I do. Uh, I I realize that action ends suffering. When I'm in that place and things really suck, the only way to end that suffering and pain is to take an action. Yet, in the moments of that, that's the last thing I want to do. Like if I had an issue with my my partner or spouse in a fight, like I don't want to go do anything. Or if like I got fired, I don't want to go do anything. But damn it, that's the time when you need to. And so it's it's this what I call ninety five five, and it's an internal like psychological momentary thing you do, where we spend typically ninety five percent of our time stewing on a problem. We only usually spend five percent of time getting out of it. We'll go home and we'll sit there and we'll do nothing and we'll just eat food and we'll watch shows and try to distract ourselves party, drink, you know, sex with different people. Like we just do craziness. We spend 95% of the time just staying in that place where I'm like, what if I spent 95% of my time taking an, an unconfident, you know, not even like emotionally fulfilled action somewhere. Like, let me go do something. And I go do something. I spend maybe 5% stewing on it. Before I know it, that 5% is 0%. 
because life just continued on. And so in the moments of when things happen to me now, my natural thought is shut down. I don't want to do anything. Let me just sit here and just, you know, seethe in it. Whereas I literally cognitively say the moment I feel that way, what can I go do right now? Can I go walk? Can I go run? Because your physiology will change your psychology also. Can I go get out and go do something? I force myself in the doing an action that makes me feel better, which allows me to get out of that place faster. So I spend less time in funky places. I get just as many funky situations as everybody else. I don't think I'm devoid of them. I might get more because of the things that I, I put myself in front of in the world, but I could take on 10 you know, in the time frame that it would take you to take on one because I, I get out of them quicker. I don't let that one last six months. It, it, like, it lasts like six hours, and then I find a way to move on my day. Yeah, I mean, talk more about that because I think a lot of people, they get into these road bumps, they get into adversity, and it like a bad day becomes a bad week, becomes a bad month, and sure enough, you look back, and it's like three years later, like, holy crap, what the heck happened? Like, talk about more, like, how mm-hmm. deeper, how in, like, what goes through your mind? What kind of actions do you do mm-hmm. to literally, like, bam, yeah. snap, get out of it? So, so this is, so I'm big on like tactical doing stuff, right? So, uh, first I write things down. So if you're like, Hey, let's, let's say something happened. Let me take a real life example of something that has happened. What's happened recently. I got a good life right now. I'm not going to lie. I've built a, a, a cool one, but I have my hardships that, of things that pop out. So, oh, okay. So here's one thing. Um, I had a, a company that I had to recently like fire that was working with me and, and they're good people. But like it was all these funky things and they started saying some weird stuff and it's just, oh, uh, it's weird headaches. Let's just call it weird headaches. Things that are completely untrue you have to go find ways. I'm not in the process of trying to find like a, a lawyer do defamation because it's just legitimately false things. So what you do is you sit back and say, all right, where can I spend my time? I can spend all my time giving energy in one direction. Now I have clients I serve and people I love and work that I do in the world. If I, if I can give energy in one area, I can't, I can't give it to this negative thing and to the place I want to give it. So what I do is sit back and I make a list of things like, hey, what happens if I if I handle this and put focus energy there? And what happens if I handle this and don't put focus energy there? And so I start taking a look at like what are the actions that need me to to be involved with them? And part of it's making calls, doing those kind of things. And so I'll I'll look at that, but I realize every hour, two hours, three hours spent there, it's one an hour of negative energy I have to hold on to. And then two, it's also an hour of energy spent away from doing something that will help other people and actually bring me joy. And so I tactically look at it and say, okay, what's the minimum amount of time I can spend here to get the return that I really desire, the 80-20 kind of concept too? And I write it down. And then what I do is I infuse that into my day. And if it didn't take me an hour or two hours, I just knock out that hour or two hours. I don't let it daunt on my head for a long time. A lot of people will have these things pop up and we will avoid them because we don't want to deal with them like mental energy-wise. So what could take us an hour, we'll sit with that and let it weigh us down for a week or two weeks because we just don't want to deal with it or face it or focus on it. So an hour, I'll just be like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and dig in for an hour and give that thing all it needs of me, time, energy, whatever it has to do. But when I'm done with it, I go give energy somewhere else. And the new thing, because I can spend more hours there, and now that's off my plate, so I'm free of it. And now I'm in this new direction of, of where I can give my energy that actually feeds back a positive feeling for me. So it's not really something where you can strategically say, here's the step-by-step way to remove hardship and headaches. But I can be more tactical in the steps I take with my time. That's really all it is, your time. What action do you have spent in your time? And even if it's just thinking, that's an action. So I don't want to think of it. I don't want to spend time with it mentally. I literally make a list of what needs to be done, how much time needs to be allocated, and I go do that. Get it off my plate so no matter what I do, I can't sit there and think of it because that's not going to change anything. 
And now I'm spending time working the space I want to work on, knowing that the space that that was is already taken care of. Yeah, and they and they probably, you know, they look at somebody like you and they're like, man, that guy has like no hardships. That guy has it easy. He's so right. But you said new levels, you know, new devils, right? I like that term. I yeah, like that's clutch. Um, take it. So like, you know, what made you really want to transition from, you know, you think like everybody's dream is to play in the NFL. I mean, a lot of guys, they were like, man, I would love to grow up and play in the NFL. Like, why did you leave, first of all? And second of all, how has that experience in the NFL like shaped you to who you are today as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so uh, one, I didn't leave. I got hurt. (laughs) I I mean, I didn't want to, but it's part of the process, unfortunately have the situation to rise. Um, but realistically, the, the things that shaped me from the NFL were like, people talk about it all the time is that, that get comfortable being uncomfortable. And it's a statement that's thrown around and it bothers me because people aren't using it the right way, like at all. Like it's, it's, it's been, I don't know, it's been bastardized. Like get comfortable being uncomfortable, like a quippy little thing. Like, it, and they say it as like, be okay with being comfortable. Like, and I don't think that's how you succeed. I think there is a piece to it where you can succeed uh, from being uh, being okay or handling a situation. But the truth really boils down to is like in football, I embrace the hardship and challenges. Like I get a weird palpable enjoyment from a difficult challenge. Like they fire me up, man. I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it. Like I, I can taste, uh, I can taste pain and hardship. If that makes sense. It's probably weird. Those of you guys listening, I'm not that weird, but I'm weird at the same time. And what it means is like, like in football, whenever it was like, you know, fourth quarter and we're down by a touchdown, I need a turnover. Like, I love that situation. I don't want to be there, but damn it, I'm here. So, okay, how am I going to handle it? Scared? Or am I going to dig in and like do work? And I loved it because like when you solve it, you get that chip on your shoulder that is priceless that no one can take from you. Like you get that little like sense of like, oh, like I'm bad. I'm a bad man with Gemma. And so what, what NFL time when it came to entrepreneurship was in entrepreneurship and, and going in this world, you get kicked down a lot. You get in a lot of situations. I've been in so many places where like I didn't have any money and I didn't feel confident. I didn't have any clients. I'm trying to figure out where to get this thing going. But I'm going out here and trying to tell somebody like, hey, pay me a couple thousand to work with you to solve this problem that I haven't solved. You know, <laughs> it was it was kind of this weird cycle of me just wanting to help people in a space that I hadn't really built into. So I had to like master things and what what I would do is realize that a lot of it took a lot of conversations, a lot of hard work that uh, that I wasn't at first comfortable with. I was okay with doing it, but I didn't go into it in a sense of comfort, which is cuddle up and be cozy. Like when we get in this holiday season, think about when you say, I want to be comfortable on my couch. Like, damn it, I want to be there. You know what I mean? Like, But most people are trying to avoid it, although they're trying to be okay with it. I literally almost love seeking out and finding the problems and the things that I do so I have something to do to fix to get a chip in my shoulder for solving it. And so when I say get comfortable being uncomfortable, like that's what I learned in football. And 100% that's what I, I apply to business now is I seek out things that make me feel uncomfortable, things that make me feel less than in a way that's not that I'm, I'm embracing it and saying that I suck, but in a way I'm like, all right, cool. I got something I can work on to give me that pride I might have been missing from some area. And I can improve upon it. And, and I mean, the common ones are like how to work really hard. Like those kind of things are simple. But it's really got to be, you know, boiled down like the, the backside of it. It's like how do I get that chip in my shoulder to keep on pushing? And you get that from taking super unconfident actions. What would you say? So you've, you've accomplished a lot, right? You've 
obviously you've been in the NFL, you've been on American Ninja Warrior, you've got a very successful speaking business, entrepreneur business. Um, you know, you've, you're a dad. Uh, I mean, you've beat the heck out of this, some crazy adversity. What would you say like your biggest accomplishment? Like what, what's most important to you? My family getting back together, bro. That was the biggest one. I mean, a lot of people, um, they talk about family is the most important thing. And I lost my family because it wasn't. I told everybody it was. So I spent all my time, uh, you know, in my gym business. I came home from the NFL, opened a gym business, the first one I had. We actually met when I was in that industry, obviously. And that was my thing, bro. Like I was uh, I was in that realm doing my thing and I was building up this business, but really neglecting my family. And so what ended up happening is I was at the gym 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. and wasn't present as a dad. And so I ended up having this, uh, this you know, separation from my wife because she had an affair, broke me, broke my heart. Uh, for obvious reasons, lost my family. So I had this really weird, like I ruined my family for a lot of times. Like I just, my family fell apart. It sucked. And so the, the biggest accomplishment was for me, a couple things. One, um, being able to forgive her, not because I wanted something and just wanted to forgive her, but a realization of her decision sucked and I take nothing from that horrible decision. I couldn't have made it myself. Like I, I would never have done that to her, but it took two people in a relationship to get her to a place where she felt she needed to make a choice. That was a thing that I think people don't grasp is most people don't do things maliciously to you. They just do them for themselves and they hurt you. That was one piece of it. And then the other side of it was, was making the adjustments to me as a human being to become the individual that really shows up for the family in a certain way that most people will talk about, but never do. Like I have actively chosen to diminish my light in this world at a, a vast stance because I'm in a season of dad. Like, so I don't push out and proactively try to get on shows and do this stuff. Cause I'm not in a rush to be famous. That's, that's, that has nothing to do with like my drive. I legit love doing what I do, but I don't love any of it more than I love being home. With my kids, like for example, I get up and work and I'm, I'm here. This is my career. When I'm done, I get to go hang on my kids for the next few hours like that. That's priceless, man. Like, and I want to do that. I, I could easily sit back in my office for all day because they're out of school. and But they have like holiday break right now. I'll be out of school and just like sit back here and do my stuff and fiddle away. And hey, guys, don't come out here. But like, no, they're off. They're off. I can hang out with them. You know, like these are the things that are cool. And if not, I'd have been a single guy still trying to hang out and find, you know, find a partner and go do stuff to fill my time. But like the family, man, that really at the root of me is what gives me an incredibly immense amount of joy. And I get to do it because of what I created and built from it. So, like, that's the greatest accomplishment because I lost it. We fell apart. Three years later, we both grew. We both um, admitted some some awesome faults that sucked, accepted some crazy parts of it, but then grew into who we needed to be and how we show up to where we built this amazing family now. Yeah, and, like, I think, you know, something that's really, really fascinating about your story is how you how broken you were, you, like, when your family was kind of ripped apart from you. And kind of talk about like, you know, how you kept yourself together through all that versus because that's tough, man, to have your family ripped apart from you to know that, you know, you're as a man, like having somebody cheat on you. It's kind of like there's a big ego check, right? Like being like, oh, huge, right? Your pride's like jeopardized. And then you got to have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know, like, how did I how did I play a part in that? Like, so like, how did you like really? What 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 in your mind had you shift right from that? Because a lot of people would have just gone straight to the victim mentality, said, "Woe is me." Oh, I did. Right? Mm-hmm, and, I did. And I think that's normal. Nothing wrong with that. I probably oh. would have as well. Obviously, yeah. 
how did you shift your mind at that point to get you like out of that funk and then to kind of in a better place to be able to handle it? Yeah. So, I mean, the first part is I didn't like how I was living life, man. I, I we all do this distraction thing, partying, drinking, hanging with people we don't need to be hanging with. And it's just, it's a, it's a bad cycle. And for me, the part of it was like, I, totally honest, I woke up next to a woman that was, uh, that was from Russia who didn't speak English. Yeah. She came over from Russia, didn't speak English. And I was sitting there on new year's day. Like, I feel horrible. Like I'm, I'm with somebody that just, it was like the bachelor life is supposed to live and it's super cool to everybody else. And I was like, this is not Anthony. Like I had fallen far away from my faith. Um, if I, if I was to have my son see this, I would feel horrible and I wouldn't ever want my son to be living this life. And I was like, man, this is not who I want to be. And I shut myself off from, from all women for like three months, dude. It was actually three months leading into when I, I kind of talked to my ex-wife again before we kind of started the process of going back together. But, dude, I just shut myself off, and I, I started doing something that a lot of people are typically afraid to do, man. I, uh, I sat on my couch in my little condo I had, and I stared at the walls, brown wall. I stared at a brown wall for hours. And what I did is I got really internal and started asking a lot of hard questions of Anthony that I'd never, that I'd never done because I didn't want to spend time with myself. Man, a lot of us get distracted because we don't want to spend time alone in our head. So we have friends around all the time. We're always doing stuff or playing games or watching shows. We never sit quietly because when you're quiet, you're alone with a person that you, if you're being honest, don't love so much. Right. And so I was with this person for a lot of time, and that was the biggest catalyst. Like, how'd you get here, bro? What'd you do? Where's your fault? What'd you really do? Like, don't, you know, don't sugarcoat it. What could you have done different? What was your mess up? What was your problem? And so I just kept digging and digging and digging. And that became the uh, the route to me starting the process of answering the questions and then say, okay, well, we want to do all this now. Now that you got this, it's the truth. What do you want to do, man? And, uh, and it was taking an action, like action, action and suffering. I yeah. said before, you got to do something. And I think we knew each other actually right when you were separated from we, – we met each other right when you were going through the yeah. same. And I remember um, – kind of partying back in the day at these mastermind retreats and um and so i kind of remember like where you were before then and kind of like where you are now it's like the growth i mean i mean obviously you live we live on a complete different coast but the growth i've seen just like from where you were like running running these those gyms to now like like dude like being like the person who's like everybody who goes to brendan bouchard's events like knows anthony trucks and knows his story and like i had no i had no idea on the backstory of your journey until i watched like that 30 minute um video and i was like holy shit and like i'm somebody who i think i have a crazy story and i've been through a lot as well but when i saw yours i was like dude i got nothing to complain about and not that like there's anybody's story who's better we're all unique but i was like man like the the amount of respect i gained for you not that i didn't respect the i was like jeez i I was like god this guy man has been he's he's like one of these kids because i live in i live in baltimore and there's a lot of people who go through similar situations in Baltimore City, right? Baltimore City's a mess right now. Yeah. And they mm-hmm. don't make they don't make it out. And to see somebody yeah. kind of make it out to wait the way you have, it's kinda of like shut the F up. No excuses. Like Yeah. Yeah. Because they've seen somebody like you, like do do what you've done and just be the dad. I mean, I see you with your kids on Instagram. I've talked to you and you know, we had dinner a few months ago and I just yeah. see how much time you put into your family. When you could be on all these shows, you're you're surrounded and friends with some of the biggest influencers in the world, right? That you yeah. could like blow up if you wanted to, but you're like, dude, I don't really care. Like, I just want to be a family man, a dad to my kids right now, and just do what I need to do yeah. in front of that. And that's like, 
congrats to you because you saw what happened when you went the opposite way and you were putting all that time into work. You saw your marriage broke fall it. apart, right? Yeah, I broke it all. I don't want to break my life again. Not not anytime soon. Because when they here's the thing, I started kids young. I'm forty. I'll be forty five when they're all out. I got time. Like so, I'm just waiting. I'm gonna build myself in the background, do what I do, and when when it becomes time, then I'll make that shift. But right now, man, it's just it's season of dad. It's live life in a good tick. Um, it's it's give give to people in an amazing way that helps their life from what I'm doing in a way that that keeps a priority my priority. Yeah. So. You know, the last kind of question I want to ask is, let's just say like you had a buddy, maybe it's your kid, maybe it's, you know, brother, whoever, and they just got hit by a Mack truck of life and they're in that place mm-hmm. maybe you were in where you found out your wife, she had an affair on you or that, you know, you've lost, you know, your, your full-time income, whatever it is. And mm-hmm. they're just in the depths of despair. They're hopeless. They're like, dude, I'm thinking about taking my own life. I'm thinking about just not mm-hmm. continuing on. Like, what advice would you give them? Man, there's a lot of things. Uh, first off, I would tell them not to go and be alone because alone doesn't help. Whenever you're in those bottom bottoms of no joy, it gets what we're talking about. It's like a lack of definitive joy. When you're there, the only way you can actually get uh, joy back, I've found, is by borrowing it. It's uh, it's something I, I did years ago in like this church group, and it made sense to me. But it's kind of like if you think about when I'm low on joy, I, I don't have it. I got to go and I got to go borrow it. From somebody and you, you can go borrow it without them losing any and what you do is you go find friends that are joyous humans man you spend time in conversation because when you're in your own head you got one voice that gives you one perspective and that perspective usually takes it to one area that sucks whereas just having a conversation with other people that are joyous they'll give you ways to look at it differently it doesn't mean you have to accept their ideas it doesn't mean you have to do what they tell you to do but damn it if i'm not around happy people and you just get happy that just that is i've never had that happen Unless you're trying to go there and be unhappy, right? So that's a big piece of it. Two, um, the big thing I look at is it's a perspective. It's it's always this thought that sounds odd and it's not dismissive or um, you know diminishing anybody's feelings. But I always like look at like anthills, and I think if I go outside and look at this anthill and look at these ants, these ants got problems. They're on little world. There's conversation. They're not as cognitive as us, obviously. But like, I'm not worried about that ant's problem. It's a big working mechanism. So I'll literally put myself in my head up on the cloud. And I'll look down at the world and say, how really, how bad is this problem that you have right now, Anthony? Like, is this a world change? Maybe to your world, yes, but it's a world changing problem. No, like, dude, get over it. Find a way to get past this and realize that there was a point in time in your life when you felt worse or similar. And there's always a time I could picture after that when I was smiling again. So I'm going to get back to that smiling place. So, Ant, problem, it's not you're not dead. Go find somebody who gives you some joy. And try to work out of it. And then I, I would seriously just find something to do to move in the right direction. I, I try not to to let my actions um, be depicted solely by my negative feelings. I try to take like unconfident, unmotivated actions. But those are the ones that drive me towards that happy place again. That's great advice, man. So, like, real quick, like, what are you um – like, what are you working on now? Like, what, what's, like, your big projects that you got coming up for, like, the next, like, year or two, besides being a great dad and a great uh, Man, a few things. I got, I got a book. I'm on the process of writing. So that's going to be a phone to get out. I got coaching programs that are um, being built to scale. So I have coaching programs that I use for my clients, but it's that thing where, at this point, uh, there, there's more desire from the world as this thing builds, which is amazing, and I feel honored to be able to bring it to the world. Um, but I can't be the only person um, – I guess that that's the, the, the only person capable of driving it, if that makes sense. So I need to take my brain out 
and put it in, in an area that people can go and consume the information and apply it. I'm an application guy. Like I'll teach you all day, but I need to teach you things you go do. And so it's to be able to get them to do the things without having to have me on the phone all the time so I can reach more human beings. And, uh, and that's the fun parts of it, man. Then at the end of the day, it's just being present for my kids stuff. Like my kids do things with me. I'm, I'm going to be training uh, an Amazon group here in December and, uh, in Manhattan. And like, I'm excited. I'm bringing a family. We're going to go watch a bunch of shows and go do stuff like that's, I can easily go out there and hang out and bachelor it up and, you know, go and set up a bunch of meetings and do stuff. Dude, all I care about is like, I'm going to have my meetings and train, but I'm, I'm actually more excited. Like I get to show my kids like, you know, the wicked, uh, you know, Broadway play. I get to go take them to see Empire State Building. Like I get to go cool, cool stuff with them. Like that stuff for me, that's way cooler than people I could try. Like, I could try to set up a meeting like, hey, can we go see, meet Gary Vee? Like it'd be cool, but I don't, I don't want to. I, like, you know, I mean, it's weird. There'll be a time for that. But right now, my only desire is really to, to live a enjoyable life for Anthony. I'm not demeaning anybody else's desire to what they want. Everybody else in the world, but I have love for you doing what you want to do. But for me, like I have what drives me and I don't feel less than because it's not your thing, nor should you feel less than because it's not my thing. It's just find a place that you feel like your level of great in this moment is being fulfilled and enjoy it. It'll give you drive to make the next levels possible. Awesome, man. So where can people find you if they want to find out more about you? Man, you give me a lot of places. Anthony Trucks on Instagram is a great place. Um, or you can go to anthonytrucks.com or you can figure out what type of identity you have. Either slow or go at sloworgo.co. But that's, that's where you'll find me. Awesome, man. So you, you heard a tale of a man who has gone from like really like the depths of literal hell. Like You would wish that on not even your worst enemy, what he went through as a kid, to now being – a successful family man, successful entrepreneur, and just an all-around great dude. Anthony, it's been a pleasure having you on. And um, Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and, and thanks once again for tuning into this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and we'll see you next time.